Um, and I think it's important that we understand that Jesus is the center of it all. He has been given the name that is above every other name. So you just sing this with me. your presence here. Holy Spirit, we welcome you to be with us, to teach us, to guide us, because Lord, your word is truth and we want to know you more. Thank you, Lord, for your presence. Amen. Amen. As we keep going through this series and just in the future, I will keep referencing this song. Um, And by the time we're done, you will know the entire song. But for now, that's all I really need you to work with is that Jesus has been given the name that is above every other name, but he is worthy of that name. Uh, he is completely worth it. He's not, he's not trying to attain to that name. He's not trying to become a superhero because that's the kind of world we live in. We have very mediocre people trying to be super. That's the playing field we're used to. But God isn't like that. Jesus isn't making an attempt. He is totally worthy of the name that he's received. So, today's message is entitled, Jesus at the Center. Now, if you have been with us during our growth sessions, um, we've really unpacked why we worship God Uh, last week, but firstly, understanding the one we are worshiping. Who are we worshiping? We are worshiping not just Creator God. Last week, we ended with Jesus is the name that has been given for men to be saved. Jesus was the name. Philippians 2.9 says, God exalted him and gave him the name which is above every other name. So when you think about how God has revealed himself in scripture, we see a God who not only wants you to know him, do you remember us saying that? God wants you to know him, but he wants you to know 
that there is only one name. In all the facets and all the glory and wonder of who God is, He says, I want you to know, this is my name. I am the God who saves. That's what Jesus means. Jesus is a, is a Greek word or for Jesus. But it comes from the Hebrew word, Yeshua. And it's a lot the same. It's, it's, it's in fact the same name for Yehoshua, which is Joshua. God, our salvation. Jehovah saves. So when we come to this revelation of who God is, we respond fully understanding that when we see that famous passage, John chapter 3 verse 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whosoever believes in the God who saves... Do you see that? Do you attach those two together? That whosoever believes... That God is the only one who saves, shall not perish, but have eternal life. The problem is, we've got a whole bunch of people in this world who try to save themselves. Who try to make do with my retirement fund. Try to make do with really good living, really good diets. I try to save myself. Now, all of these things are great things. Does anyone argue with that? All great things. But who can save? Jesus. And if we don't deliberately start there, our worship starts to get all skewed. So when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he wasn't kidding. He wasn't just being poetic. The thing is, when we see all these things in Scripture, there is a very great significance to what Jesus is saying. So, for our definition of worship, worship is always a revelation That is responded to. The response part of it is worship. But there cannot be a response unless God reveals himself. Okay? So this is just as review. So it is my response to who God is and what he has done, is doing, and he will do. Correct? It is my response to who God is. This is totally unrivaled. This has got nothing to do with attaching him to you. So the first place of worship is not necessarily seeing how much God fits in my sphere of relevance. That's the first place. He is totally by himself in a totally different category. Remember the word we described last week? The Holy One. Words that we use to describe God. That means he's totally separate. He's in a different ballpark. He's not even in the same superhero category that we would think of. Or the God category. Or the mighty category. Or the powerful. Or the gracious. Or the glorious. All those words have pictures in our mind that have a very human understanding. Now when you take that and you put God and you say, we're describing you as mighty, as powerful, as glorious, as wonderful... He says, I'm in a, that's a totally different league altogether. Words don't even describe him. But what do we have? We have words. So when we have words, we've got to be careful that we're not just simply saying, 
Oh, I know you're glorious. I know you're powerful. Say, Lord, open my eyes to see what that means. Because at the moment, when I think powerful, I think the Niagara Falls, I think Mount Everest. You know, do you understand what I'm saying? Everything that we see in words forms a picture. And you're saying, God, I come to you. Blow the pictures that I have in my mind out of the way so I start to see you. Give me a picture, a glimpse of who you are that I might move forward in truth. So, last week when I closed, I described it as the two rails. If you think of like a railway track that goes right into the presence of God. Worship is responding to revelation. The one tr- on the one side is who God is. And on the other side is what God has done, He is doing, and what He will do. And unless you have both... You will always have worship that never seems to be... If, you, if it's all about who God is, without God doing anything to relate to you, your understanding of it is very abstract. It has... So if I said the word glory, oh, He's glorious. What does that mean? If I pressed you to say, when you say He is worthy, what do you mean He is worthy? Worthy of what? Why is he worth it all? There is no context for you to relate to it. So then God says, but I do things in your life. So there are things that he has done. There are things that he is doing. And there are things that he will do. And all of this is in the context of what his son has done on the cross. So when I say Jesus is at the center of it all, I mean it. He is literally the center for how worship now moves forward. Before Jesus came, there always had to be, like Ken so wonderfully described for us, a lamb that was without spot or blemish. Had to be. You're not going anywhere near the house of God without a lamb. That was spotless and without any blemish, any infirmity. It had to be perfect. And Jesus is the perfect sacrifice that literally takes every step of revelation of who God is and what he has done and then starts to take you further. Without Jesus, you're like a locomotive sitting there without a track to go on. But it is Jesus saying, I will take who God is and I will show you what that means. So when you and I approach God, we have to realize it is only by the work of His Son. How many of you remember a teaching that um, Alan gave us? It was on, first of all, partaking of the whole Passover, eating the whole feast, the whole work of what Jesus has done, not just the parts that I like, not just he saved me from my sin. What is the salvation? What does Jesus' Passover mean to me? And everything. Scripture was uh, alerted the, the Israelites to eat it fully, not to leave any of it for the next day. Why? Because it is something to be eaten off totally. Not just part of it. Oh, I'm, I'm full now. Just leave it. 
Not a single bit was to be left over. Everything had to be burnt. Everything had to be brought to the altar. So when we see who God is, Alan was teaching us about something called keeping the testimony. How many, how, does that ring a bell with anyone? Keeping the testimony. What does it mean to keep the testimony? What God has done, you keep it close. So who God is, you're constantly putting it in the terms of, what has he done in my life? Who God is, what has he done? Who God is, what has he done? So the more you keep reminding yourself of the things that he has done in your life, why is it never a silly thing to first of all remember your salvation? There's never a been there, done that kind of thing with the salvation of God. To constantly remind yourself, I have been brought out of darkness. There was a lamb that was, there is no fault in this lamb. That was the lamb of God, Jesus. For me to remember that he did that. To remember that there was no fault in him. And therefore now I have no fault in me because I am covered by the blood of Jesus. To remember, keep that testimony close to my mouth. So when I approach God and say, God, you have said come to me. You've said that you will show me who you are. I bring this testimony. I've tasted this before. Show me. So when you keep the testimony of God close to you, this is that one rail, right? Remember I said? The things that God has done, the things that God is doing, and the things that God will do. In the context of who you are, show me more. And he says, come further. Come on in. Come on in. But it is always linked. One without the other is not worship. Because it all centers around the glory of who our God is. I want to quickly move on. So to understand those two words in very simple words, it's God's glory and God's works. So there is the glory that is totally unattainable, unconceivable, uh, inconceivable, sorry. You can't even begin to understand what that's about. And then God says, I will show you what that's about. So he reveals his glory by the things he does. Hebrews chapter 1 says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, and through whom also He made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory. Who is the Son, Jesus Christ? He is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful Word. After He had provided purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the Majesty in heaven. This is why Jesus is at the center of worship. Because He not only made a way, He is the way. So if you are ever going to go and 
meet the majesty in heaven, guess who's taking you there? Jesus. The whole way through. Have you got a view of what the mercy of God has done? With those two railway tracks going all the way into the presence of God, you see the wonder and the majesty of God and you see that spotless lamb who made a way. In view of that mercy, present yourself. Present yourself, keeping that in view. Don't lose sight of that. Don't start chasing rabbit holes. Don't start chasing other things that you, oh man, the spirit, I feel this, I feel that. Oh, this is wonderful. This is great. I really feel a peace. Stop chasing those things. Look at where you're headed. Otherwise, what you end up going out of a service with might end up becoming your thing. The next week you'll come back chasing that same thing. The next week you'll come back chasing the same thing. Do you see how easy it is for worship to become your consumer activity? It ends up becoming what you get out of it. Oh, the worship really blessed me today. Am I happy that it blessed you? Absolutely. Am I happy that it touched you? Great. But did it touch God? Who are we here for? If we don't settle that, if we don't keep Jesus at the center of it, if we haven't in view of mercy presented ourselves, we will end up saying, well, I need this fixed and I hope you'll fix it by the time I'm out of these doors. Totally ignoring the fact that he said, present yourself. We're only willing then to present ourselves for fixing. Not presenting ourselves as an offering. And this is what. Look at the language used there. I love the amplified classic version that actually talks about this. Make a decisive dedication of your bodies. Presenting all your members and your faculties. Everything that you think with. As a living sacrifice. Holy, devoted, consecrated and well pleasing to God which is your reasonable, and this is literally the most sensible thing that you could do when you enter God's presence. Because you are coming in view of there is no fault with this lamb. Now do you see why you coming and presenting yourself to God and knowing that He will fully accept you has got nothing to do with you? But how good of a worship you can bring. Or how much you can give. It is fully in the context of. There is no fault in Jesus the Lamb of God. So therefore when I stand and even attempt. To take a step towards God's presence. It is with a full assurance of faith. I can walk boldly to the presence of God. And know He will receive me. So it's not with. Test. You're not doing that. You're not inching into the presence of God, hoping He will let you in. It says, boldly enter in. That's what Jesus did. And I I really hope 
you've taken my encouragement to read through the book of Hebrews. It outlines for you exactly what Jesus did to let you into the presence of God. But now I want to switch gears for a moment. Because now it is about bringing an offering, right? Because what did, what did the verse just before say? Present yourselves, therefore in view of God's mercy, for this is your acceptable service of worship, your offering of worship. So what is it to bring an offering that pleases God? What is an offering that pleases God? Any ideas? Faith, the blood, the whole work of the cross. All three in one, but in one word, the offering that pleases God is Jesus. Nothing else. That's the only offering that pleases Him. The more you try to do Jesus plus... Or Jesus and, that's where we get into trouble. We somehow think the work of Jesus wasn't sufficient. I need to supplement that with a thousand dollars a year gift. I need to supplement that with, you know, feed a few hungry people. I need to, do you understand? All of these things are good things I'm talking about. But in our hearts, we think that these things might somehow, you know, give me an edge over, you know, Ken over there. He seems to have pretty good access. Maybe I might get bumped ahead of the line in, you know, when if just throw in a few extra bucks in the plate. We might laugh. Subtly, these things work within saying, this forms your righteousness. This gives you a better standing with God. When the only thing that pleases Him is the work of His Son. The only thing. And I can say that without a shadow of a doubt from all the things that God has said in Scripture. That is the only thing that will satisfy Him. And anything that you and I bring, which He calls worship, which is again... An offering that comes from you is on that foundation. If it doesn't have that as a foundation, what Bob was saying, the fruit of our lips, of faith that acts, all of these things don't make sense if it's not on the foundation of what Jesus has already done. So, let's go ahead. Which came first? Chicken or egg? Chicken. Which came first? Love or obedience? If you love me, keep my commands. Whoever has my commands keeps them. And he is the one who loves me. The one who loves, loves me will be loved by my Father. And I too will love them and show myself to them. Then a few verses later he says, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. 
Which came first? Doing the stuff or loving? Because he said, if you do my stuff, that means you love me. Mm. Do you see that there? Do you, it's a very slight difference. But in our Christian thinking, we read passages like that and skim past the fact that he says, the love is the foundational aspect to everything else. It is an issue of the heart. Fundamentally, worship is an issue of the heart. The Lord said, Because this people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, well, their hearts are far from me. I mean, if you read that passage of Scripture, Isaiah 29, and keep reading, just to see God's their hearts are not with me. They do everything. They even do like what I just described. You give to this, you keep these laws, you do that right. Um, you don't have affairs, you've not used, you've not killed anybody. You're not, all of these things, oh, I'm, I'm pristine. God says, what basis do you have to stand? Your heart is not with me. So even now you translate that to this day and age. Where you see someone who struggles with something. Someone who is hopeless with something. Someone who has not even half a leg to stand on. Socially speaking. And you have your perfect little life. You've always abided by the law. You've never done anything wrong. You feel you have a shoe in ahead of that person into the presence of God? We won't say it, but we think it. I'm not like him. I'm not like her. Because I come to church every Sunday. I do this every Sunday. I do that. These things go lower down on the pecking order of what matters to God. Because what is the only thing that pleases God? Jesus. So if you and I keep that as our focus, we will do well. And he said to him, this is in Matthew 22, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Or what he's saying is, this is the foundation of everything. And then he proceeds to say, the whole law of God is built on this. That you shall love the Lord. So it is not you doing what is right, it is you loving Him. Now that you love Him, do what is right. He's not skimping on the do what is right. You don't get an easy pass on the doing what is right. Because what I'm about to take you into about what it means to enter the presence of God is very specific. It's not a, well, I guess I got Jesus, so here I come. No, 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 no. It's very specific. 
And that is why I had to lay this foundation because I needed to understand the only thing that pleases God is Jesus. You always have access. You always can enter. Regardless of where you are today, regardless of what you've done in your life, you can always enter. But that does not mean, he says, you don't need to do what's right. Just do whatever you feel like. Just throw that out there. The worship of God and what he accomplished in what Jesus did was very specific. Don't minimize what Jesus has done. So when I reminded you of what Alan taught on, the whole Passover, him paying for your sins was one part of it. There is a whole feast to be had. There is a whole work to be walked in. And it is all an issue of the heart. So what drives your response? Having been made alive, is your spirit now dictating your response? Or what you feel like and what you see on the outside, is that driving what you do? Humility receives the work of Jesus. Pride says, well, you called me, so I guess I can come. There was a wedding feast. There were many people invited. Ah, One said, I got to go sell a field. I I got work to do. Sorry, just give my regrets. I cannot come. Then the king said, Go. Go into the highways and the byways. Go into the... Basically, go out to the street. Invite anyone and everyone to come. Many came. The feast was full. There were lots at the wedding. There was this one guy. And he noticed. He was like, Who's that? what's that guy doing here? What, what's, what's that? Because wedding attire was given. If you have any concept of weddings, it's just that in our day and age, we, everyone pays per plate and we're all used to that sort of a system. But if there was a wedding feast, you were not only put up, you were clothed, you were dressed, you were given everything you needed to celebrate by the family who was hosting. Deal with that, dads of girls. <laughs> there, I mean, go, going through, I mean, this, this is from my teenage years, but there would be days when we used to just hop around town going to weddings and eating different at different places just because you could just go in and you'd be entertained. So, but that, that's a concept in the Western world we are not familiar with. But this is what I need you to understand. Everything needed for the wedding was provided. And there was this one guy who just said, 
Well, you invited me. I go, here I am. He says, well, you're not dressed for the wedding. You've come in whatever clothes you have. And he says, take this person into the outer darkness because they have no part to be in here. And he was taken away, kicking and screaming. Now, does that feel unjust? Well, you invited me. Don't I just get to show up? Mm -mm. This is a wedding, buddy. There are certain things that you got to wear. There are certain things that we have to do. You don't just do your own thing. And this is a small reminder. And this is all. And what I just shared with you is in scripture. It's a parable Jesus shared about how the kingdom of God operates. You don't just get to come. I'll show up. Here I am. Come on then. Where's the feast? Oh, he says, well, to get to the feast, there are certain things that are quite necessary. I will provide it, but you've got to comply. This is my house. So there is a certain sense of familiarity that we have in the Western world with what church means, with what coming to God means, what worship means. Hey, it's all about your heart, right? Well, yeah, as long as you love Jesus in your heart, I don't care what you do. Well, guess what God does? It matters to God. Oh, I don't do that raising hands thing. I'm a, I love Jesus in my heart. Don't judge me. Well, I'm not judging you. I'm not judging you. My issue is, have you met God? Do you see who God is and what He has done? And is that guiding your worship? Or is it just what you feel is compatible with where you are at right now in life? I need songs that are a little bit more slow, a little bit more reflective. I don't do this crazy, mad, crazy music. I just do. Do you see how we've immediately made it into a musical set that fits with us? By the way, I've not talked about music this whole time that we've talked about worship. Because fundamentally, we need to understand that it is an issue of the heart. But the heart always has to respond in obedience. So next week, I will go into this in detail. For those who are in the growth session, we'll, we'll cover this in depth. When you enter the presence of God, the tabernacle of God first had an approach. You had to enter in. Then the first thing you would have to encounter was a sacrifice. There had to be a sacrifice of a lamb or goat or uh, a cow or a dove. I mean, there were like for each... Depending on their status or their ability, everyone had to bring an offering. And it wasn't, it wasn't extracted out of them. It was something they brought willingly. After the sacrifice, there was a cleansing. And then you proceeded into the holy place of God where there were offerings presented before God. 
of incense and prayer. And finally, you would go into the most holy place where you would encounter the mercy seat or the presence of the living God. So now I'm just, I just put it in five just so that it's easy for you to understand the different stages as we go in. But all of this, just think about it. Even if we did not know anything else, all of that is Jesus. Can you believe that? You did not have to. So when we think about how simple it is, I do not want to overcomplicate this for you. I don't want you to look at this and think, oh man, now I've got to start looking at all these five things and how this applies. I'm saying the only thing that pleases God is, but I'm just saying don't be ignorant of what Jesus did. Okay? So I want you to be fully aware as we go into worship that Jesus did all of these things for us. So when you come in through the gate, the first thing of approach was the gate. And the first thing you saw, I mean literally you, you walk into the temple of God, the first thing you bumped into was an altar. And there had to be a sacrifice. You couldn't take a step towards God's presence without a sacrifice. And that's what Jesus is to us. He took our place immediately. Secondly, you come to a, a basin where there was, or a, a, it was a huge bronze basin of water just for a ceremonial washing. I will go into all of these things in detail later, but right now I just need you to know that after that was the holy place where there was a lampstand and showbread. These are all symbols, but they're more than just symbols. They're what Jesus has done. And right at the back, over there was an, a, a smaller altar. This, this is a pretty big one. This one was a smaller one where incense was offered. And regularly, and this right up to here, this was where you stopped. Every, every day there were offerings made in the presence of God. Priests would come, offer an animal. They would get washed, go offer incense, and then come back out. But once a year, they would have what was called a sacrifice for the atonement, not only of the people, but for themselves too. And the priests would enter in, having offered incense, would then proceed to go in here where the presence of God was. Now, why am I taking you through all of this? This seems very old and archaic. I mean, come on. We got Jesus, right? That's why I'm just saying, press the pause button quickly. Because that is this. You laughed when I did that, right? But that's what's going on in your head right now when you see all of this. Like, oh, yeah. Man, come on. You're just overcomplicating all of this. That's because Jesus did all of this so that you might meet Him. So right at the gate, He says, Come, you shall love the Lord your God. That is the thing that drives you to even come in the first place. 
Because He first loved us, therefore I can love in return. Do you remember that? So because He loved me, now it's love that draws me. But love draws me to obedience. So the first thing I do as I enter that gate is, what do you want me to bring? Not here I am. What do you want me to bring? Because I'm coming to meet the King of Kings. I'm coming to meet the Holy One, the One who is not like me. Yes, He is my Father. And that is coming. But before I get to meet Him as Father, He says, I am God. So it is that, that is what we established in week one, remember? Who has God revealed Himself to be? He is God. Not G-O-D. He is God. What does that word mean to you and I? Now we get to respond out of that. So, our love is always accompanied by an obedience. Amen? Let's just finish here. And I want to take you further, but we are out of time. Lord, we want to be a people who respond in love. Lord, I ask that you'd open our eyes, Lord, to see wonderful things in your word. Lord, that we would be a people who respond with obedience, not out of obligation, but because we love you. Because you loved us first. Soften our hearts, Lord, to these things. Lord, where things seem to be getting complicated in our mind, uncomplicated, Lord, I ask that you would take the words that I have, Lord, and by your Spirit, O Lord, I ask that you would teach. Holy Spirit, we invite you, Lord, to transform our understanding that we might worship you in spirit and in truth. Help us understand the meaning of these things. Lord, that we might truly bring only a sacrifice that is fully fragrant of the work of Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for bearing with me. Um, For next week, we're going to go into the tabernacle in depth. And I trust you'll be there for that. Otherwise, this was like the biggest anticlimax. But I just wanted you to carry this and go away. That it is love that draws us to obey. So whenever you understand new things in God's word, it is never to put, you should be doing this, you should be doing that. But it's saying, I want to respond to God with love. Amen? Have a wonderful week. If you're a